a podcast about Phoenix Rising Football Club. My name is Kellen Olson, your host, joined as always by Jake Anderson. We've got a couple of things to run through today. Jake, how are you doing? Doing well. How are you, Kellen? Doing well. It's weird to not have a uh, Phoenix Rising match to preview ahead to next week, but a rare week off for them. So we are going to take this opportunity to, of course, recap last week's 4-2 win, but then also run into some Europa League and Champions League stuff as well. Let's start with that 4-2 win against Real Monarchs. We both had to watch it on delay. Uh, Game six of these conference finals was insanity. I was watching that. You were in Toronto watching that game as well, but you were there. Yeah, I was following Twitter as much as I could. Oh yeah, me too, for sure. And uh, knew the results that I was going, but I actually wasn't able to watch the replay until I got back on Wednesday night. I actually didn't watch the game until yesterday because Canada's, you know, VPN or whatever network for internet knows that I'm not in the United (laughs) States and I can't watch ESPN Plus. Wow, I didn't even think of that. Yeah, you did get screwed in a way, Uh, but you had a great time in uh, Toronto and. I didn't have a great time watching this match, I gotta be honest. It was super sloppy and just all over the place, and I, I liked the result, and we'll we'll talk about the buildup of the match and how the match went on, but the main thing was this was just all over the place. There were mistakes made by both sides constantly. There were so many defensive breakdowns that were happening, and then there were also offensive breakdowns to follow those defensive breakdowns, and it was just like I said, really all over the place for me. Yeah, when you have six goals in one game, usually there's that kind of thing going around. (laughs) The defense obviously isn't solid, but I thought it was a good performance once they kind of woke up. That's something Shantz has talked about a lot. The team kind of needs a wake-up call sometimes, and as a fan especially, I'm sure that's very frustrating. As you said, for the defense... I noticed that the right side, which is Mustafa Dumbuya's side, it was almost like they wanted to close down whatever side of the pitch Monarchs was on, but that diagonal ball was wide open and you saw how much trouble they had in the air and with boxes or excuse me, with crosses coming into the box. I mean their first two goals were pretty much identical. And they're basically the equivalent of taking a corner short because it's That's what the point is. You get the defenders moving, and obviously the corners were actually flown into the box and then headed away, but went right to Monarchs, and with all that stepping up to try to get everyone off sides, you kind of lose your man, and they were great crosses and great headers. You have to tip your cap there. Oh yeah, their their goals were were solid, and especially the, I believe the second one, they were both off of pretty much that awkward situation with a corner or or a set piece uh, near the box where the line has to sort of reset and pull back and there's always the danger of as your line is pulling itself back someone has the ball on the other side and crosses it in and there's that that eyeball sort of match up with that person and the target for the cross and that just happened twice and that's a part of the game and it just fit into the madness of this but I think one of the things you hit on was the quality in the second half in particular where they kind of pulled away I thought it was a huge accomplishment for them to honestly be tied 
uh, and looking at this 2-2. First goal was great. Aguinaga, who we're going to talk about more, obviously, man of the match. This was his best match of the season that I've seen so far, at least. I thought he was great and just exactly what we've been talking about more specifically I've been talking about is the front three for this team is going to lead them of course but they need a connection in the midfield somewhere from someone at least we thought it was going to be Bacaro a lot and it has been but Aguinaga was the guy I was really highlighting specifically to look at beautiful setup to Adam John on the first goal who we've highlighted in the past uh, two episodes here as a guy who is just in form right now and finding himself in the right spots and speaking of defensive breakdowns though on that first goal I don't know what happened there. Aguinaga stops on the end line, and then no one cuts off his path yeah, to the Yeah, I noticed that it, the guy on his left kind of went for the the drop, the, the, the back heel. To like heel. the fullback, yeah, or whatever, yeah. Yeah, there was no, like, it's just like basketball. You stay in between your man and the goal. It's goal side. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, it's fortunate for Rising that that particular goal um, went in the way it did. <laughs> Obviously, Becquero's goal. Um just constant pressure. I mean, you could tell that the keeper was struggling. That keeper had a rough go of it. it. This is a very deep Arizona sports reference here, but Coyotes used to have a goaltender by the name of Mike Smith who used to play the puck all the time as a goalie. And in theory, if your goalie can advance the puck to like the midway line or just even beyond into the opponent's zone, it's a good thing to have. But the risk is so severe, obviously, because it's the goalkeeper playing with And it's the same thing here. It's like, yes, you want Manuel Neuer to kind of be doing his Manuel sweeper Neuer keeper. stuff, the sweeper-keeper stuff, and also playing with the ball. But you better be at a top level and not turning the ball over. And this guy just looked way too comfortable with doing it, and he was uncomfortable throughout the game. The constant pressure, like you said, and Pacero, look, you jump in front of that, who knows what happens, and that's what happened is he got his goal. Yeah, it was uh, a funny goal, obviously, to score like that. But the the Adam John goal really got the team going from what I saw. And then Mm -hmm. it is lucky to score a second goal like that, but it gives you an extra boost. It's like, okay, we're tied. Um, Let's go. Let's do this. And to go back to Aguinaga, we both talked about this. The first part of the season, we were a little disappointed with how he was playing. And as of late, he is playing fantastic. Bacaro seems to be dropping more, and that looks like it's going to be a regularity. Um, I was thinking about this when I was watching the game. We were not sure the extent or how long Colin Fernandez is going to be out. But in terms of that midfield rotation, you have James Musa, who's not a bad player. It's just you have three midfielders who are working together very well right now. You saw it. The one twos, it was it was beautiful. That I mean, it was a quick with the Fleming's goal. It was a quick boom boom, and he had a great finish. And to go to the attack, I want to start calling him the AJR or excuse me, the uh, yeah, AJF. What, what was it again? AJF. I like that. AJF. Yeah. So Asante, John, and Fleming's, and then AJ's the initials for Adam John. Yeah. So. That's going to be the MSN version for Phoenix Rising. <laughs> I'm glad you mentioned the one the one twos everywhere because on that first goal that they scored, it came off of a turnover, but then it was pass, 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 pass between four different guys, and then all of a sudden Aguinaga's not through on goal, but he's through to create a scoring opportunity, and then there's Adam John in front. Second half to me was just Rising or better. They're better, and that junior Fleming's goal, it, it's, it's a great layoff by Aguinaga, but for me, Fleming's having the quality to 
sprinting full speed, just first time touch himself um, to get it in a scoring position like that. It's so difficult because you only have that one touch before you shoot for your second touch technically has to be pretty freaking good because you just don't have that much real estate to work with the defenders on your back the goalkeepers maybe crawling up a bit but he made it look so easy and then just finessed it right over his left shoulder a beautiful goal and then the fourth goal Solomon Asante just rips it from that spot just just a banger And, and that's the type of stuff that I am coming to expect from this team and looking at the four goal scorers three of them in that front three of the AJF like you said and and man I I, I'm really excited with the form that they have shown in the past couple of weeks in particular Adam John just because I think Asante and Flemings are going to give you what you need mostly every single week Um, but but seeing John and Aguinaga be the guys in the past three or four weeks that have stepped up the most has me really excited for the form that they can continue into uh, for the rest of the season and going into the break I think that this wasn't exactly the result we were hoping for I think I predicted three nil and kind of a a thorough bashing and this wasn't that it was a very sloppy game but for them to kind of compose like you said after the first goal and figure it out from there was really exciting only eight shots for them in this game which was which is very uncharacteristic of them but scored on half of them so that's quite the conversion rate yeah they took advantage of their chances which is something that monarchs didn't really do they had opportunities but i noticed how much possession both teams played Obviously, rising when they're on defense are very high pressure and they want to get you on the break, but Monarchs kept the ball. They obviously had a 2 nothing lead, so you drop back a little bit and give more possession to rising, thinking you have a lot of defending to do. Um, but when you give up the lead, just like that, you push up, and rising able to get that lead was very important, obviously. Um, being able to play the game they want to play obviously playing with a lead helps but that high pressure wanting to catch you on the break uh, defense first as Sean's preaches uh, that was the game that they'd want to play so as I would say as soon as that second goal went in the rest of the game is the rising team that we were expecting coming into this season in my opinion me too yeah I think that that's where we are right now is we're finally starting to get to the point where we can no longer be whatever we wanted to call it worried not as optimistic slightly disappointed I think we're back to where we expected in terms of our expectations that's a good way of putting it I suppose yeah I would say I I looked at the panic button a couple times yeah. but I kept saying eh, not yet and the form they're in now oof, yes. they started out four draws yeah. obviously and then now they've won six of their last eight. That's 19 out of 24 points. They're in the top three. But like we keep talking about with the West, it's like eight points separates third from 14th. Speaking of the panic button, hit that panic button if you're a Chelsea supporter because Eden Hazard has made it known that he's pretty much gonzo. But what a performance to go out on. We're going to hit on the Europa League final and then uh, preview the Champions League final, give our predictions. We were talking about it a little bit, and it, this match was just the Eden Hazard show. It was a great farewell for him, if it is his farewell from Chelsea. I told you this, and, and you were kind of bringing up a couple of names. I have covered, or not covered, I've watched soccer extensively to the point now for about five years, to the point where if you're like a top player, I've seen you enough. And in terms of a winger who is a guy who consistently challenges defenders one-on-one and then draws extra attention and stuff obviously messy in the middle weaving through there's no one like him but I got out wide to give the ball to and he just weaves around and you just 
struggle with challenging him. I haven't seen anyone better than him in the past really two years. He's one of the best players in the world. Oh, absolutely. They could not touch him. It seemed like every time he touched the ball, it was attached to his foot. He could turn. He could cut. He was passing. It was the best game I've ever seen Eden Hazard play, hands down. And that's probably why Real Madrid wants him so bad. If that's the team he goes to, it's the big speculation of which team he's going to go to. As far as the last few years with wingers, obviously Ronaldo comes to mind, Mm -hmm. Neymar, um, Mbappe. Um, But Ronaldo, as he's gotten older, is starting to move more central and be a striker. His legs are going out as you as you age and him and him in the red at Manchester United was when he was the guy like the one-on-one challenging you getting by you with skill he was that guy oh yeah absolutely but he's he's evolved into something else yeah for sure and he's a he's a absolute clank to watch same yeah. with Messi yeah but Robin just came to mind that was a good maybe one. a little Frank Ribéry yeah tweet it tweet us who else we're forgetting here because there's obviously just so many world-class wingers over just the past four or five years that we're forgetting about but yeah Ronaldo came to mind Robin comes to mind as well I'm glad you brought up Mbappe because he's probably the next logical guy to succeed in in that or the, the line of succession I should say uh that he comes up just because his his pace is just unbelievable and that was that was probably one of my favorite moments as a soccer fan in the past like four or five years was watching the World Cup that he had just a guy becoming a star. Hamas Rodriguez kind of had that, but you, how much can you do that when they made the round of sixteen or whatever it was or the quarterfinal run that Colombia made? But Mbappe was the one of the three best players on a loaded France team at his age was remarkable. Oh, it's absolutely amazing. And I feel bad for Monaco, honestly. <laughs> it's 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 rough. Like they won France. And two years ago, and now they barely avoided relegation. Um, but yeah, Mbappe, nineteen twenty years old, he's well known on top of the world, has a World Cup, and not that I feel bad for Neymar, but his career in terms of what it was supposed to be and how it's gone has kind of been—I don't want to call him a bust because he's not. He's still a fantastic player. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. But he was supposed to be the next Ronaldo. He was supposed to be the next Messi, and he's 26 now, mm-hmm. 25-ish. So not that his career is going to be over soon, but he was supposed to be you know, on top of the world by now. To tie in our last two seg- segments here, I'm fascinated every time by the dilemma of a club that is not quite the... like. Real Madrid and Barcelona and Bayern, they don't have to worry about losing their top players. But when you're just a step below, like Chelsea is right now, Eden Hazard's going to want to go to those top, top clubs. And it seems like he's gone. Are they going to lose N'Golo Conte too? Because if they lose Conte too, they are pretty much like screwed. I, I dealt with this in the beginning of this uh, whole thing. I think the first year I really watched soccer in depth was the year Gareth Bale went absolutely insane for Spurs. And then he went to Real Madrid after, and we saw they slowly pick the pieces up together to our last segment, which is the Champions League final. Liverpool Spurs. I think the biggest thing for me in this is it's a it's a great opportunity for Liverpool from a narrative standpoint to kind of cement themselves as one of the best clubs in the world, if not the best club in the world, because you make the Champions League final last year. You make the final this year if you win it. 
just with the form that they have shown in the competition. Now, of course, not winning the league, and you can argue that in there. But for Jurgen Klopp, too, it's it's there's so much here beyond just England versus England or a Premier League team versus a Premier League team. I'm I'm more fascinated by just the entire Liverpool dynamic and their rise again into one of the best clubs in the world. Yeah, they are an absolute force. I love Jurgen Klopp, both the personality and the way the team plays. The team actually kind of plays... Like Rising does, they're all about pressure, and they have fast wingers, and we didn't even mention Salah or Mane. Mm-hmm. So, but to go back real quick to Chelsea, remember they have uh, Christian Pulisic. Oh man, they bought him. You can't forget the American. I want him to be the heir apparent to Hazard, but I also feel like that is so much insurmountable pressure that I'm scared. Yeah. It's it's a du- it's a double edged sword for me. And I I don't like how much we hype up players. Like I don't want him to have all that weight on his shoulders of you need to be the greatest American soccer player, which by the end of his career, I think he will be because that 2026 World Cup that's here, I think he's going to be the man, the face of the team. But we have to remember soccer is not a one man sport. You have to have teammates. You have to work together and I'm excited for the future, honestly. Watching the U20 team, and they're doing well. So, you know, that's the future. The present, Champions League final tomorrow. I don't know. I, am, I don't know either. I want to pick Liverpool. I think Liverpool is the overall better side. It makes more sense. But honestly, you look at the core, the cores of this team, right, and what... I think the midfield to me is the biggest discrepancy perhaps because the front four is there's not much difference there and you talk about Salah, Mane, Firmino but you look at the other side with Tottenham they've got Kane, they've got Son, they've got Erickson, Lucas Moura has been an incredible form in the Champions League they've got so many dynamic options there the midfield to me is going gonna, is gonna to swing this in my opinion because Tottenham kind of has a couple of decisions to make Harry Winks is a guy that they like to play more when they when they like to break things down and breaking down Liverpool's press is the key to beating them. But do you go with a more defensive option instead because of that front three? So do you look at Eric Dyer, Victor Wanyama, or Sissoko more as the engine? I, I, I'm looking at that and the and what the front 11 or the starting 11 looks like uh, to go from there. I, I am going to pick Liverpool 2-1, but I'm very, very skeptical about it and don't feel confident at all. I just think that Liverpool has the edge in terms of overall balance. Virgil van Dijk is one of the, I think, it, I've been saying no, one of the best players the be- in the world. He's but the he's, best defender in the world. He's the best defender in the world, and he's one of the best players in the world right now. If Liverpool win, I'd be willing to say he might win the Ballon d'Or as a defenseman. Wow. Which, as we all know, never, never happens. I love watching that guy. Just not only just like the defensive plays, obviously, but the way he pings it around too. I, I'm I'm a sucker for like the Pirlo, like sixty yards across, and he does it all the time. It's ridiculous for him as a defender to have that in his arsenal. Who who you got here? Remember Harry Kane's back. That is huge. Yes, he he is back. He is an absolute monster. Just size and what he can do with the ball. If I had to. And the and the most scary the scariest thing about him is he has the service. We we if we want to tie it back to rising a bit, Adam John has the two wingers outside and Christian Eriksen, Youngman's son, Deli Ali. I call son. I didn't even mention Deli Ali in the front four. I knew I was forgetting something, but it, how great of service is that for who is arguably 
one of the three to five best poachers slash finishers around 18 yards and in in the world. Who you got? I I don't know. I, I something about me tells me to go Liverpool. Mm. I just think. But that's the thing is everyone's been picking against Spurs this whole time. They're the underdog. They're going to win, right? Because that's how it's been. <laughs> Liverpool was the underdog. They won. Ajax was an underdog until they played Spurs, and they were the favorite and lost. I feel gross saying this because it sounds like I'm on a talking head show right now, but this just feels like Liverpool's moment to me. I feel like this is what their 2-3, the Jurgen Klopp era, really has been building to is this moment when they win the Champions League and they... I think not only is it a big moment for Liverpool, but it's a big moment to see one of England's clubs clearly as one of the best teams in the world because Man City has been at that door for three or four years now, but they just can't make progress in Europe to qualify themselves. But Liverpool's in that discussion, and they'll break down that door if they win. I'm going to go 3-2 Liverpool. And an interesting fact about the Europa League final, out of the what is it, 28 players that went on the pitch, three were English. One started on two clubs from London. Quick shout out to Andrew Robertson and Trent Alexander-Arnold, two of my favorite players to watch just anywhere, and they're fullbacks, which is amazing. And Trent Alexander-Arnold talked about this that this week and just making him want to expose the position more and what it's capable of, and I think it is dynamic, and he's showing why. And just the way that he set up that Origi goal, for example, he's just a really clever player and also has a lot of pace about him. I really enjoy watching him. We'll be back next week to... Get into the final a little bit. We'll recap it a bit, and we might have a guest on from Rising to uh, look ahead and see where they're at this season and see where they are going forward. We'll talk to you then. Peace.